Well, this morning we continue our series in Advent. And last week we talked about hope. This week we are talking about peace. What a big word that is, right? You say the word peace and you have so many different things that come to mind. I mean, what a simple word, but what a very profound word. What a complex word, but yet so simple in its essence. I think even to the point where it might be difficult for us to even define what peace means. I mean, peace, of course, is something that everybody wants, right? Is there anybody here that is not looking for peace? Please don't raise your hand. (laughs) Everybody wants peace, right? Sometimes we use it as a greeting. And you say, peace, brother, right? Back in the 60s, supposedly, they said peace. Some of you remember that. I read about it in history books, you know, right? I don't even know where that comes from, but we we do that, right? And there's different symbols and ideas. There's a dove with it with an olive branch. There's a, a circle with the lines in it. And we have different ideas of what it means to have peace, to greet one another in peace, um, to, to obtain peace, to give peace, to, to, to act peacefully towards one another. Maybe you are the peacemaker in your family. I think I am. I know you don't have to, you can shake your head. That's okay. Claudia's shaking her head in agreement. She's just doing that because I, I put her on the spot. Every family has got at least one, hopefully. Right? Maybe you're in a family, you're like, I don't think there's any peacemakers, and we just go at it all the time, right? Um, but, you know, so many people are desperate for it. This can be an elusive word, peace. And we often say, don't we, especially after a long, hard day, and maybe you, you got the kids running around, and, and you just say, if only I could get some peace and quiet. Why does that word come after that? Peace and quiet, right? But there, therein lies one of the definitions that we have, that peace means like no noise. Maybe that's a definition of peace for us, right? That we, maybe we need to go and be alone somewhere and just get some peace. But we often say, just want some peace and quiet, because we have that idea that peace just means that everything is good, right, and tranquil, and there's, there's no noise, there's nothing bothering me. So the question then for this morning is, what is peace? I mean, it's one of the four themes uh, traditionally of Advent. There is hope and peace and uh, joy and love. And these are big words that we use a lot in Scripture, uh, and God talks about them a lot, and Jesus talks about them a lot, the apostles, the writers of the books of the Bible often talk about these four uh, big words. But today we're going to look at peace. What is it? Where do we find it? How do we get it? Is it even possible to obtain peace? Well, as always, as Christians, we are called to use the Scriptures, right? The Bible, God's Word to us to define the terms that are important to us. Remember we did a whole series on um, theology. We did a whole series uh, and talks on um, how to define and build a biblical worldview. Remember that? And one of the things that I kept mentioning, which is so important, is that we have to define terms 
biblically because the world will define things differently than God does. Am I right about that? Right? He will. I am right about that. It's not a question. It's more of a statement. I'm right about that. And so God, so God defines things differently than the world will. Because remember when we say the world, we're talking about the world system that Satan, our enemy, and the enemy of God usurped away from Adam and Eve. And then God promised there would be a redeemer, a reconciler, who would one day come. And that was and is Jesus, the promised Messiah. That's why in a few weeks we're going to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, which means the taking on of flesh, God taking on human flesh in the form of the baby. And we know Jesus the Christ. Because He was the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. We know that He came bringing peace, right? As Savior. And He offered peace to the world through Himself. Through the cross. Through the empty tomb. But did He not also say that He would return one day? But is He coming back to bring peace? Will there still be an opportunity for spiritual peace, for reconciliation to Him? But he's coming back as king and as judge over this world. But see, we as believers can enjoy not only hope, which we looked at last week, but we can enjoy true peace, but only, and this is important, church, only if we define it biblically. Okay, you follow me? So we have to open the pages of Scripture, and we're going to do that now, a lot of Bible verses today, that will help us understand what peace is, How do we find it? Where do we get it? And then, you know what? What do we do with it once we do find it? How do we hold on to it? And then, what do we do with it? So, let's start this way. Let's see what the Bible says uh, about peace. Let's watch this short video. You can take some notes. It'll, It'll be sort of our primer on this word peace from Scripture. All right? And then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper down and see how we can learn and grow and serve in peace. All right? Let's watch this video together. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. 
The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So, there's a lot involved in peace, isn't there? But isn't it wonderful that the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for peace is shalom? And did you notice that there is this sense of making something whole or complete? Is that interesting? When we say that we want peace, what we're really saying, what the Scripture is saying... What God is saying is that when he defines peace, he is talking about something in harmony. When it is made complete or made whole, or let's say this way, something that is broken is reconciled. And so when we think of peace, we can think of this idea of reconciliation. And of course, ultimately we know we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, which means we have been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season, let us remember that peace really means reconciliation, that we, through Jesus Christ, can be made whole, can be made complete in our relationship with God because he brings us shalom. You know, or as we would say in New Jersey, yo, shalom, right? Or if you're from Texas, you would say shalom, y'all, right? But shalom, what a beautiful word. And then in the Greek, in the New Testament, erenne. But, but these are the words that we understand that mean what we call peace. And so hopefully that, that video was instructive and helpful for you to get a visual and to get an idea of what it means to have peace, to, to pursue peace, and, and then to serve others through peace. So um, here again are the words from Isaiah uh, that were read earlier. This is from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government 
shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Doesn't that sound good? No end to peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this is how it's going to get done. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. It is something that God desires and God is pursuing for his people. And that is why he kept his promise from so many thousands of years ago and sent the baby Jesus into Bethlehem. So, first of all, some context, and then we'll move on to some other scriptures. This this well-known, famous passage of scripture from Isaiah 9, often used during the Christmas season, is a prophecy, and often prophecies have two fulfillments in a way. There is a literal one, and there is one that actually can be known here and now. So, this prophecy, when Isaiah says, uh, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Many scholars believe there was not the true Messiah, but there was someone born a leader that would help their nation come into peace. But, and it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then look, there is a future prophecy. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then look at how he continues to describe it of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And what is this this prince of peace going to do? He is going to uh, reign on the throne of David, King David. And where would that throne be? In Jerusalem. Over his very kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Church, We know Jesus always reigns. God is always supreme and sovereign. Amen? But do we have perfect peace in this world right now? Is uh, is the government perfectly aligned with God's will? The government of any, any nation? Is there perfect justice right now? No, there is not. One day there will be when Jesus returns to earth to set up his kingdom and and sit on the throne of David. He will establish it, his kingdom, and that beautiful kingdom will have a peace that will have no end. The government literally, if we read this literally, will be on his shoulders, meaning he will rule and reign on the throne of David. And you know what, church? We as believers, you know what we're going to be doing then? We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. Isn't that awesome? We will have already been taken up by him. We believe that called the rapture. And we, it says that we will come back with him to some degree, somehow. We don't know how he's going to set that up. But we will come back and rule and reign with him. Isn't that beautiful? We as his children and his saints. But see, what a wonderful prophecy that there was going to be born a Savior. And he was born more than 2,000 years ago. But yet, there is an unfulfilled part of this prophecy that the Messiah will rule and reign on the, his rightful throne, the throne of David, who God promised in the Davidic covenant that there would always be a, um, a, a ruler in the line of David when there was a ruler on the throne. And the next and the last one will be Jesus the Christ. 
And then finally, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But see, we can have peace right here and now. We can have true spiritual peace. We can enjoy the peace that he gives us right in our lives as well. I mean, there is this idea of temporal peace here on earth and eternal peace forever. Two aspects of peace. Let us not forget the temporal peace that we know we can say we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to him and our eternity is secure, but we can enjoy peace here and now. Do you know that? It is not elusive. It may seem like it, but as believers in the Lord Jesus, we can have it. So we think of the word peace. We think of harmony. We think of reconciliation. Look at what the Apostle Paul taught the very first Christians about this piece of reconciliation. Look, in Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You know who the Apostle Paul is talking about here? Who are the two people or the two groups of people? It's Jew and Gentile. See, he was saying there's no more wall of, of hostility between Jew and Gentile. He's saying, in Christ, the two have been made one. Or in another way to say it, they have been reconciled to one another, but only through the blood of Christ. See what Paul is saying? Paul is saying there should be unity. There should be harmony among you. There should be reconciliation of the two groups that have always been at odds, the Jew and the Gentile, because only in Christ can there be true peace, true harmony, true reconciliation. See what Paul was saying? Even between the Jew and the Gentile. Creating in himself, meaning in Jesus, one new man. He's talking about the church. The church. Jew and Gentile. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that bring? That brings peace. Like Isaiah 11. Another passage from Isaiah 11. A beautiful description of opposition in the natural world that we're all familiar with, at one day in his kingdom being brought together in reconciliation through the peace that only Christ can bring. Look at what it says. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is that not beautiful? I mean, I, I take the Bible literally, and so I take God at His word, that one day, when the Redeemer is reigning and ruling, and the government is upon His shoulders in His coming kingdom, this is what life will look like. You'll turn on the nature channel, and it'll look a little different, won't it? you say, wow. you say, where is that lion chasing after the gazelle? Uh, do some of you look for that? I mean, 
not. Isn't that the part where you kind of cringe? It's like you're watching it just like, no, I don't want to watch it. Boy, but in the beautiful, wonderful, perfect kingdom of our Savior, that's what it's going to be like. What a beautiful description of those that are at odds right now because of sin, because of the sin nature of creation and our hearts. There is opposition between Jew and Gentile, but in Christ we are reconciled. There is now opposition in nature between the lion and the lamb, but one day they will be in harmony. They will be reconciled. Because that is the heart of God, church. His heart is all about reconciliation. Perhaps you have experienced a struggle with a broken relationship. Maybe you're in one right now or it's part of your past Broken relationships happen because we are broken people. But God is a God of restoration. God is a God of harmony. God is a God of reconciliation. It's always His desire. He knows that we are not yet perfect, so it won't always happen that way. But church, remember this. It's always God's heart and desire that we pursue that reconciliation. See, so we have been given peace. But the only peace that matters... The only peace that lasts is the peace that Christ offers to the world. There will be many attempts, there always have been, for peace. Peace treaties, trying to um, to end wars. There will always be those things. doesn't mean that we should not seek reconciliation, that we shouldn't seek to end those things, of course. But we know living, living in a broken and sinful world, that's, that will be. There will be opposition There will be fighting. There will be wars. There will be injustice and unrighteousness. But that is not God's heart. Please remember that. That is not God's design. When people might ask you, why is there so much suffering in the world? You say, I don't know, but it was not God's design. We know it's because of sin, but we can simply say that it's not what God designed. It was not what He desired. And it is still not what He desires. Well, church, look, briefly, I want to take our core values of learn, grow, and serve and kind of filter through this idea of peace through each one just briefly, okay? So we'll take a few minutes to learn more about peace, find out how to grow in our practice of peace, and then finally see how we can serve others through peace. Because peace should be one of the hallmarks of a Christian, is it not? So, first, let's learn more about peace. Okay, Here is a picture of our spiritual condition. Look at Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Beautiful words. But Paul is describing here in Romans 5 that we have peace with God only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. So our spiritual condition before Christ is that we are enemies of God. We are in opposition of God. We are separated from God. There is a wall of hostility between us and God. That's because of sin. We are separated from Him. We are called enemies of God, and we are of this world. We are slaves to sin. But church, the gospel tells us that in Christ, 
we are then reconciled to God, slaves to Christ now, separate from the world but joined to God. We know the truth and no longer need to believe the lie. We are set free by the truth and the the truth will set us free. Jesus is the truth, the way, the life. And now that we are justified through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the very life, we are being sanctified in Christ, set apart from the world. See, our position has changed in our justification through Christ. That's what happens the moment that we believe, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation from our personal sins. At that moment, Scripture teaches us we are justified, set right in our position. And that wall of hostility is broken down. But Paul says the only way, church, that we then have that peace is through Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. There's that word. It's Jesus coming to earth to reconcile all things that have been broken to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, that's eternal or temporal, making peace by the blood of the cross. See, it's right there. It couldn't be said any any clearer. You see that? How do we obtain peace? Through the blood of the cross. The only way that we can gain true and everlasting peace is through Jesus Christ. Right? The world may offer all kinds of other ways to be at peace, but none of them are true and none of them are lasting. None of them have any eternal value. However you might be seeking peace this morning, let those words ring true in your heart that we have only true peace through what Jesus Christ did by reconciling everything in heaven and earth to himself through the blood of the cross. So we learn a little bit more about peace. If we're going to grow in peace and then serve others through peace, we need to know more about peace, right? So how about growing? How do we grow in our practice of peace? It's a discipline, really. But it's also a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? So if peace is a fruit of the Spirit then what does that mean? As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? That we are, as we obey the Lord, and as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are then allowing the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's not our fruit, it's His fruit. We are allowing that fruit to manifest itself in and through us. So how do we grow in our practice of peace? It's through obedience It's trusting and being obedient to the Lord and the following of the Holy Spirit, surrendering our will to His, putting aside our pride and our will and saying, Holy Spirit, we will follow You. Because remember, church, the Holy Spirit is always going to point us back to God's Word and to Jesus. So the more that we are thinking about Jesus, the more we're reading about Him and learning about Him, we will be growing in our practice of peace in our life It is a fruit of the Spirit. And don't we want that fruit of peace to be big and and red like a shiny red apple? Don't we want it to be attractive to others like a beautiful piece of sweet fruit? That's what we should be desiring in our life, to let that fruit grow in us, to to be ripened in a mature piece of fruit, that peace, so it can be manifest in us and grow in us. But it's only as our mind and body 
is brought into submission daily, surrendered daily to the Holy Spirit within us. That's the practice of peace. It's a daily practice. A daily practice. As we submit our mind and our heart. Having our mind renewed, Romans 12, daily by His Word. And then we can have this gospel of peace that Ephesians 6 says should be our footwear as part of our armor of God. Look at this in Ephesians 6. As, as Paul talks about the armor of God, remember? Put on the full armor of God. Do you remember what is on the feet? What, what is covering the foot and protecting the foot? It is the gospel of peace in, in Ephesians 6.15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isn't that wonderful? So the gospel of peace is what's on our feet, and it says it makes us ready. Right? If you're going to go into battle, you don't want to be walking backwards, right? Shivering and, and being afraid. You want to walk in with the full armor of God, ready to defend yourself or to go into battle. And so he says, on your feet. I mean, our whole body is supported by our feet, isn't it? Right? So all the rest of the armor is supported. If we fall down, what good is the rest of the armor? So he says, on your feet, have the gospel of peace. So he's saying, look, everything we do should be filtered through peace. We are people now of peace. We should let peace be growing in us, and it should be what covers our feet going into battle. Remember that it is the peace that gives us a foundation of reconciliation. See that? We want to have something secure on our feet. And that security is the gospel of peace, that we have been reconciled to God. So in a way, peace meaning harmony, reconciliation, shalom can also be stability. Because stability means there's nothing shaking or, or moving around us, right? I mean, when we say we just want some peace and quiet. So, I mean, we don't want any, any noise, no distractions, nothing bothering us, right? How about some just tranquility and stability? Well, with the full armor of God on, the gospel of peace on our feet gives us stability so that we can stand in the truth, stand during times of battle, stand during times of the storm raging around us. I mean, the enemy can never take away our salvation. He can try to knock us off of our firm foundation. But he will never be able to do it if we stand firm. If we stand firm with the gospel of peace. So the shoes we are to wear in spiritual warfare is the gospel of peace. That's the opposite of, of fear and worry and anxiety. That word peace then can mean tranquility. It can mean harmony, even during the most difficult of circumstances. See, church, peace doesn't mean that everything is great and perfect. I mean, I think God defines peace for us as the ability to stand with that gospel of peace, the ability to remain true and faithful to Him, even during the times of storm, right? Especially during the storms of life. And that gospel, that good news, is one of peace. We need to embrace that gospel of peace for our life, not just eternal life, but our life here and now. And that peace is what is prophesied for the Messiah's earthly kingdom by Isaiah in chapter 9. It will be a reality when he returns. That's our blessed hope. 
But we have access to that inner spiritual peace now as his children, as ambassadors of that kingdom to come in this broken and weary world that is so desperate for peace. John 14 says it this way. What does Jesus say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Isn't that something? And Jesus says, I'm leaving you with peace. But it's not the peace the world's going to try to offer you. It's the peace that only I can give. And finally, if we can learn more about faith and we can grow in our practice of faith, how do we serve others through peace? We are called to a ministry of reconciliation now that we ourselves have been reconciled to God. See, we have been reconciled to God through Christ, so therefore we are to be ministers of that reconciliation to others, to bring that message of peace to a world in need. That's our ministry, to bring a world full of hatred, to bring them to the love of God and the God of peace. To show a world full of pain the God who is a God of peace and compassion. We are to offer a world that is always at war the Prince of Peace. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us... This message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See that? So we have been reconciled to God through Christ So therefore, how do we then serve others through peace? By being ambassadors of peace. Being the people that bring peace. Being peacemakers in our family, in our homes, in our community, our workplaces. But how do we do it? Not just by bringing the quiet and the tranquility, but by bringing Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That is one of his names after all, isn't it? The Prince of Peace. So we can tell people, people that are desperate for peace in their lives. Sometimes you can see it on their faces, right? And sometimes they're hiding it well. But we all know people that are desperately longing for some kind of peace in their life. I mean, I, I dare to say that if you went out and, and, and surveyed a hundred people, just go to the mall later and, and you, you, you survey a hundred people, how many of them would say that they are experiencing real peace in their life right now? Right? I mean... Everybody is longing for peace. But church, what is Paul saying there? He says that we are now ambassadors of peace. Because we've been reconciled to God, 
That's now our ministry. It's as if God said, you are now made complete and whole. You have that shalom, that peace in Jesus Christ. He says, now take that peace, my children, to this world. Because the world desperately needs it. The world is still broken. You have been made whole in me, but there are so many other people that don't know me yet and and are struggling to find that peace. Will you bring the shalom to them? That is what the church is called to do. And Paul says it so clearly. Right? I mean, when you're given a gift, we are then to share that gift. That's what God says. He said, I've given you reconciliation. You now have peace with me. Through Jesus Christ, show others where to find that peace. That's how we can serve. That's how we can serve others through peace, by being the ambassador, by letting others know there is true peace that you can find. And what better time to do it than the Christmas season? Briefly, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the who? The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans fourteen nineteen. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And also in Romans twelve eighteen, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Church, Paul is giving us an admonition. He says, as long as it depends on you, as much as you possibly can, be at peace with other people. Are you at peace right now? Are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ? And if you are, are you at peace with others? And maybe you're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But maybe your fellowship is broken with Him and you're, you're missing some of that peace with God. Maybe you're sensing some of that wall coming back up. Well, rest assured that you can never lose that salvation. But sometimes uh, our fellowship with God can be broken just like it can with other people. Church, I would encourage you, especially this Advent season as we quickly, quickly approach Christmas, seek peace. Be a peacemaker. As Paul said, in as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone, but especially with God. We are to bring that message of shalom to the world, but it starts with you. It starts with you as an ambassador of peace.